today's scripture is from Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 7 through 12. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I tolling, he asked. And why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves quickly. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. This is the word of our Lord. Welcome again to church here today. We especially want to thank our guests for being here. All of you had other things that you could have chosen to do, but you're here, and we appreciate that. If you hear something that uh, we say that just catches your ear or resonates with you, uh, we encourage you to share that out on social media for those who couldn't be here today so they can kind of get a glimpse of what what happened here. We are going through the Better Together series, as I mentioned, week two. We're asking the question, what if the way to a better me is by we? Is life really better together? Uh, I want to thank, say thanks to David for reading our scripture today. And uh, if you didn't already turn to Ecclesiastes 4, you might go ahead and do that and also jump to uh, Matthew chapter 14 and Mark chapter 6, Luke 22, several places we're going to be today. So you want to jump to any of those, that'd be great. And uh, let me pray and we'll get started. God, thank you for our time together. Thank you for this series reminding us that you have created us to be in relationships. Even you yourself as the, the Trinity, God the Father, Son, and the Spirit. And you created us to desire friendships and uh, that we are better together. So speak through me today and, and help all of us listen and take heart to what you want to teach us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So a couple months ago, the staff and uh, some of the elders and spouses, we had 14 of us that went down to Dallas, and we went to a conference. It was the Right Now Conference. We've talked to you, you may be seen in the bulletin, the Right Now Media, the, the Christian Netflix, basically. And so we went down there for a conference. They had a full slate of uh, three days of speakers. And the very first speaker was Pete Briscoe, uh, you might recognize that name, ladies, if you were a part of the IF gathering before. His mom, Jill, uh, is one of the IF speakers. And so I'll just take a second right now and, and do a little commercial for the IF gathering. Uh, you'll find these cards around the, uh, around the building. Uh, there's also some information in the bulletin in the announcement section. I highly encourage for uh, all of you ladies, February 8th and 9th, put that on your calendar. Get registered for IF. It's been doing great things here in Fort Scott and across the nation. And, and uh, so Jill is one of the speakers again for this, uh, this year's IF gathering. Her son Pete led off the conference, and he spoke about this text that David read from Ecclesiastes chapter 4. So let's go back to that and look at those words a little closer here. Uh, the first couple of verses talking about the guy who is uh, living by himself, just earning wealth, and it's basically meaningless. But then in verse 9, it says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. 
If either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, and a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And so as Pete Briscoe was going through this text, um, he was talking about this idea of isolation versus friendship. And, and when he read these verses, it reminded me of a couple years ago when Dylan and Lindsay Knopp got married here on this stage. They had this display up as part of their ceremony, and all three of these ropes were, were hanging down individually, and as part of the ceremony, music was playing, and they went up and they braided those ropes together. And in a wedding, uh, uh, the wedding setting, uh, that cord of three strands is referring to the bride and the groom and Jesus. And that is a, a very strong bond in a marriage relationship. But in general, this text is just talking about how, how better we are together. And so Briscoe had uh, these things to say. First of all, he said, isolation is more dangerous than the dangers of friendship. And then he said, in relation to this text, two is better than one, and three is better than two, but being surrounded is best of all. And I think if you think of situations in your life, most of the time we think of situations when other people are around us. And then the last thing he said, it kind of sounded like my mom, run along and make friends because we're all the healthiest that we can be when we have friends around us. And so we, we took those words to heart and it reminded me of, of their wedding and, and this display but it's a nice idea. We can sit here in church and we can nod our heads or we can not nod our heads, whatever. You can agree or not agree, but uh, it's, it's a lot easier to agree in here than it is when you go get in the car with your kids, right? Or your spouse keeps talking about that project that you need to get to or, or whatever, and, and it's just like, you know what? I just need to be alone. I don't need better together. Blah. I don't like that. So we all have those moments when we're thinking, hey, people drive us crazy, so how can I be better together if people drive me crazy? So if you've ever thought that no one gets you or that most people are idiots or everyone is driving you crazy, you may have resisted this idea of being better together. So we have to tackle that question about this craziness that people drive us. The, the question is not do people drive you crazy because everybody in here has something that somebody else drives you crazy, right? It's not about do they, it's about what kind of person. So we're gonna talk about five different types of people that might drive you crazy. And the first one I mentioned as we were doing our greet time, we were gonna talk about the annoyer. And so that brings up pet peeves. And so maybe you shared a pet peeve with the person next to you, uh, maybe not about them, but about somebody else. And so we're gonna have a little audience participation. So if, if uh, crowd participation in a sermon is one of your pet peeves, I'm sorry. That's what we're gonna do though. So I'll get us started, uh, and I had a couple other people come up to me and say that they had the same pet peeve that my wife has about me, and that is that we uh, chew too loudly. Uh, I guess Chad is going to come up later, and, and he's going to share, but uh, Chad has that same pet peeve with his wife, and so JC and I were relating to each other about we just put something in our mouth and we chew. It's not a matter of being loud or not, it's just how we chew, but specifically for Kara, it's when I eat cereal. I, I guess my cereal's too crunchy. But uh, that, that's her pet peeve, so just yell some out. You don't have to raise your hand, we're not in class, but yell some out, some pet peeves that you have. 
Slow driving, that is definitely on my list here. Okay, communicating or not communicating. (laughs) Spoken like a true Cardinals fan. Thank you, Harold. I appreciate that. (laughs) Very good. The first three in first service were all about kids. So, so far, nothing about kids. So, what else? We have three people in the, in the room. That, playing with the chewing gum. Yes, so that kind of thing. <laughs> One more. What? Hang on, this is my mom, so we're just going to beware here. Oh, yes. Yes, I don't know how many times my mom has passed that pet peeve on to me. When you see something on the board, it's .98 and then the cent sign. So I can bring a penny and I can pay for it, right? So, yeah, she passed that one on to me a long time ago. Where are my kids? You guys, you've you've heard me say that, right? Yep, okay. So, um, anyway, so those are, yes, definitely some pet pet peeves. Uh, Ralph mentioned the slow driver. We'll get to that here in a second. Um, another one of my pet peeves that I'll just throw out here and alienate most of you uh, is Chiefs fans. Hey, there was one in the back that was a Raiders fan in first service. Any others? Raiders fan, join me. Hey, my, my son, there you go. Layla, I didn't know that about you. That's good to know. So uh, we'll, we'll unite in our own small group very small group. There's always next year. We've been saying that for a long time. So the annoyer, congratulations to the Chiefs. They played very well yesterday, and it pains me to say that, but they're, they're representing the AFC West. So uh, the annoyer is one of them. Uh, the incessant talker, kind of ironic that somebody standing up here preaching is talking about an incessant talker, but uh, you know, the talkers who use transition or sentences to transition into other sentences, Right? Or they ask questions. I'll have kids back in children's church. They'll come up and say, hey, Paul, you know what? And blah, 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 blah. They just keep right on going. They don't give me time to answer. And so I stop them. I say, wait a minute. You just asked me a question. Give me time to answer it. Oh, okay, Paul, you know what? Nope. And they go right on, right? So, uh, but the incessant talker, the close talker, you know, the person that stands right here when they talk to you and it's not your spouse, and they have bad breath. Who said that? Pet peeve right there. There you go, Eli. Good one. Uh, the silent starer. You're looking at them and talking to them, and they're just like, I, I don't know if they're home or not, right? No facial expression, no nodding of the head, nothing. Uh, the drama queen. Anybody relate to that one? Drama? Yeah. Uh, Trent Stiles was elbowing Andrea in that one in first service. So, uh, but no one can top their story. There's always something worse that's happened to them than what's happening to you. Okay, so the drama queen, and that's just five. And the scary thing is that you are on somebody's list. They just avoided you during greet time, right? <laughs> Probably. Um, so, how do we get over these, uh, these, this craziness that people drive us in order to be better together. And the best place to, to look always when we're here at church is in the Bible and, and other times, not just at church. Uh, go to the Bible and look at what Jesus, how Jesus responded. Because I think Jesus had uh, pet peeves. 
I think there were 12 of them. Peter, Andrew, James, John, on and on and on we go. When you read the biographies of Jesus, you see that he dealt with this very thing, people just driving him crazy. Scripture teaches that he was tempted in every way. I think one of the ways he was tempted was trying not to look at all of his disciples and say, you're idiots. What am I doing with you? I'm wasting my time. So we're going to look at three different examples of what I mean here, and we're going to find out that in each situation, even though they were the craziness that they were, the idiots that they were, potentially, Jesus still launched the most successful organization in the whole world through these 12 guys, in spite of them and because of them. So exhibit A, we're going to put an image on the screen of some sticky notes. Maybe you have your, your phone and you put reminders in your phone to help you remember things, or maybe if you're like me, you're old enough to remember Sesame Street when Bert and Ernie would talk about tying string around your fingers to remember things, or maybe a little bit more uh, contemporary is uh, the sticky notes that I have way too many of in my office. And so uh, as my mom is here, I remember one of the stories I remember about sticky notes is that my dad, and maybe he still does this, I don't know, uh, but he, he would grab some sticky notes and he'd just write the words, I love you, and then he'd hide them around the house for her to find. Oh, so romantic. It's for all the times he was an idiot. <laughs> he's not here, I can say that. So he's going to listen to the recording later and he's not going to listen any further because I said something about his chiefs and now this. So um, Anyway, so sticky notes helping us remember because the disciples had a remembering problem. Uh, if you look at Matthew 14 and 15, it's the feedings of the, the 5,000 and then the 4,000. Last time I preached, actually, was last July, and I preached about the feeding of the 5,000. You know, we threw some rolls, and some people caught them, and some people didn't. Um, but uh, in that story of the feeding of the 5,000, if you remember, actually both stories are like this. The people are there listening to Jesus for a long time, and uh, they're getting hungry, and it's getting late in the day, and Jesus has compassion on them. That's what it says in verse 14, that he had compassion on them and wanted to feed them. And then in verse 16, he turns to his disciples and he says, you give them something to eat. Well, they weren't sure how to do that. Uh, And so, you know, the rest of the story, they find the young boy and he brings up the sack lunch and Jesus holds it up and blesses the food and everybody gets to eat, 5,000 plus women and children. And so the, the interesting part to this is that Jesus has compassion on the crowd but gives responsibility to those closest to him. There's a lesson to be learned there. But they don't remember that very well because then you flip over to chapter 15 at the feeding of the 4,000, less than two chapters later. And look at what it says in verse 33. Matthew 15, 33. Jesus has compassion on them again and uh, he's basically inferring to the disciples that they should find something to eat. And here's their question. Less than two chapters later. Where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed all these people? They had a remembering problem. They didn't remember that Jesus had just fed more than that with less food. Jesus said to them, we need to feed them. And they replied, how? We only have this time seven loaves and a few fish. I'd be thinking it's time for some new disciples. This is just not working out. Someone who can remember something that happened less than two chapters ago. Why would he continue to hang around with these people? And so that brings us to exhibit B. Our second example is the crown from Burger King. And I've brought one with me here. This one happens to be painted because we use them in VBS for crafts a lot. 
So when we think of a crown, we think of who? The king, okay? The king, the greatest in the land. And that's where the disciples find themselves in trouble again because in these texts here, Matthew 18, Matthew 20, and Luke 22, they're arguing about who is the greatest among them. And so uh, verse 1 of Matthew 18, the disciples are wondering who's the greatest. It says, hey, we're just kind of wondering who's the greatest. Pick me, pick me. Uh, But seriously, they're with Jesus, and they're asking the question, who's the greatest? The king of all kings, hey, uh, which one of us is the greatest? None of you. I am. Jesus. He's the greatest. Let's, uh, you could assume that uh, they're contending for second place. It still doesn't matter. It's Jesus and then all the rest of us. Agree? None of us are greater than anybody else. But then in Matthew 20, verse 21, it's not just the disciples. It's James and John's mom as well. She shows up, helicopter mom. And she says, hey, Jesus, uh, when, when we go to heaven, could uh, my boys be on your right and on your left? greatest and second greatest in your kingdom. She just doesn't get it. And Jesus has got to be thinking, I'm building my kingdom on these guys. And then if you flip over to Luke 22, it's the the Passover meal. Right before Jesus is going to die, we call it the Last Supper. Jesus has just finished washing their feet. The greatest act of service for a king to get down and serve his followers. And they follow that up. Luke tells us in verse 24, a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. And Jesus has got to be thinking, so the fate of this mission is in the hands of these 12 pet peeves of mine. So exhibit C, for this one we have silly string, something we all love back in children's ministry, not so much. Uh, But we're talking about Peter and I always call Peter, I, I, I mentioned to the kids that he's, uh, he has toothpaste mouth because he's always blurting things out and you can't put it back. Um, described as a, uh, a guy with a lot of courage and his ready fire aim mentality, right? Just blurting it out, inserting foot. He just can't keem, keep, seem to keep his foot out of his mouth. And so it's like toothpaste that you... Squeeze out of the tube. You ever tried to get that back in? It won't go. I promise. I've tried because I keep bringing this up with the kids and just wanted to make sure nobody can prove me wrong. So uh, it just doesn't go back in the, in the container, nor does silly string. Right? Sorry about that. A little close. The, the kids in first service that were sitting close to, closest to me jumped as it started flying at them. But try to get that back in the canister, Bob. See what you can do about that. Take it home? Okay. Well, I'm done with it. This is the last time I'm preaching today. So um, anyway, that's, that's the kind of person Peter was. He just blurted it out. Here are three examples. So, I mean, once in a while it was good because in Matthew 16, 16, it's called the great confession. He's the first one to confess Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah. But then six verses later, when Jesus talks about how he's going to be killed soon, Peter says, uh, come here. And he starts rebuking Jesus, the Messiah. Yeah, that's not how it's going to happen. No way. You're wrong. So I don't know how you do that. You, you tell the Christ that he's wrong or he needs to get his facts straight. But that's what Peter does because he just blurts it out. To which Jesus responds, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You're going to prohibit what I'm trying to do while I'm here. 
And then we find it again in chapter 17. The transfiguration has just happened and Jesus is there and the presence of Elijah and Moses are there as well. And Peter's like, oh man, this is great. Uh, it's good that we're here. Let me build a shelter for you three. And it, you, you can just kind of see Jesus maybe shaking his head. And, and uh, I really like what the text says there because in verse five, God speaks. He says, while Peter was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love and with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. It's almost like God is saying, hey, Peter, stop, just stop. We know you're gonna say something, you're gonna regret it, so just stop. Let me tell you what's really going on here. It's not about what you think it is. But then his most epic collapse we all know about when he denied Jesus three times. And right before that, they were at the Last Supper in Luke 22, verse 33, Peter pipes up, Jesus, I'll never leave you. I'll follow you all the way to the grave. And that very same chapter, by verse 54, he starts denying Jesus three times. I don't even know the man. So that's Peter. And you gotta wonder if Jesus is thinking, and this is the rock that I'm gonna build my church on. Peter means rock, by the way, if you didn't know that. So here's what's fascinating. While you and I might think that these guys aren't worth our time, Jesus knows that he needs to stay in community with him. He knew that uh, we are better together. And so he was committed to staying in community with them. He saw no one as worthless, no one as less than, no one was an idiot. He trusted them and led them and even gave them opportunities to represent him. And, And here are the guys that we're talking about. The 12 disciples, let me just read off some of who they were. We have Peter, we already talked about his mouth. We have James and John who were called the sons of thunder, which might refer to their anger issues. We have Bartholomew also called Nathaniel, who basically called Jesus a redneck when he said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And then there's Thomas the doubter. And then the the great duo of Simon the zealot and Matthew the tax collector because a zealot means that he was a political warrior against Rome, and the tax collector means that he was collecting money and cheating people out of their money in order to give to Rome what was supposedly due to them after cheating them. And then there's Judas, by the way, who ended up betraying Jesus. So how could these guys possibly have been any benefit to Jesus? How could they have given him anything other than heartburn, or a few laughs, but he accepts them as is, not as they should be. Even though Jesus was God in the flesh, he was Christ, he was the Messiah, he held all the power and the ability to show up and preach and teach and perform miracles and say, follow me and do it all by himself if he wanted, but he didn't. He chose to do it together with this community he called the disciples. He surrounds himself with the people on our best day we'd call idiots, What were you thinking? It seemed a little bit impulsive to grab these kind of people to follow you and and stake your, your claim for the church on these 12 men. He could have done all this alone, but he didn't. He said, he didn't say, follow me and then watch and learn. He said, follow me and now go and do. And that's exactly what he did. Turn to Mark chapter six. In Mark chapter six, it's the story of when Jesus gathered the 12 disciples to him and sent them off in pairs to go do ministry. He wasn't going with them. He was sending them out. He said, go and do. I trust you. He trusted them. So Mark chapter six, verses seven through 13, 
Calling the 12 to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and they preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. So think about the trust. These 12 pet peeves, these 12 idiots, these 12 guys who just didn't seem to get it. They're a lot like me and you. We, we can sit back and we can think, oh, I wouldn't have done that, but I'm glad he did because I get to be a part of his kingdom too. And he used them to represent him, to heal with his power, to cast out demons in his name. So despite their shortcomings, in spite of their idiot-like tendencies, he still valued that community. He knew what we have to admit. Everybody's not like us. He knew that we need a community and that community is found in being together, not in being the same. Because each one of us helps make each one of us a better person. That's why we're better together. And if Jesus finds uh, in his life and his mission that we're better together, then shouldn't we? So think about how that might work. If you think back to um, the feedings of the 5,000 and the 4,000, what did Jesus do? He gave compassion to the masses that he didn't know as well, but to those closer to him, he gave responsibility. And so as you think about that responsibility, uh, well, first let's start with the people who are far from us. Uh, We talked about the the driver that was driving too slow, right, Ralph? Okay, so um, we need to have compassion for those who are far from us, like the guy that's singing too loud or the person in front of you that's driving too slow, and we need to pray for them. God, please help this idiot. I mean, God, I have no idea what their story is, but you love them and help me to love them like you do. I don't know that those words, uh, you can ask my kids, they're in here. Have I ever said those words when following somebody slow? Uh, God, yeah, I'm pretty sure the word idiot came out of my mouth more than this other prayer. So we need to have compassion for those who are far from us, but responsibilities need to be given to those who are closer to us. Instead of doing things for all, all those around us and then resenting them because they let you do that, we need to share the responsibility. Give your friends permission to help keep you accountable. Instead of being angry at how others fail you, give them the opportunity to succeed by empowering them like Jesus did. When Jesus did this, it changed the world, and we're here today 2,000 years later because the church has succeeded to this point in still existing. And if we do this in our own life, it will certainly change our lives as well. Two is better than one. Three is better than two. But being surrounded is best of all. And so we talked uh, here recently as a staff about, uh, you know, we have this vision of knowing Jesus and blessing others. And we know that we need to do that. It is best to do that when we're together. And so we, we started thinking about the things that, that we have going on here besides Sunday morning. I've heard Dusty say multiple times when he's up here on the stage that we need to be involved in something smaller than this. Because it's, it's hard to know everybody. That's one of the, the knocks against big churches. You can't know everybody. Well, you can't know everybody in a small church either. The, the goal is to be known. 
And you have to put yourself in a situation that you can be known. And it has to be something smaller than this because we only give you three or four minutes to greet each other. And then we all walk out the door and go eat lunch or whatever. And, and uh, so figuring out a way for us to be better together. We have small groups and small groups work, work really well. Sometimes it's Sunday school classes on Sunday mornings or Sunday evening small groups or through, throughout the week you meet together. Most of those are centered around studying a topic specific to the Bible. So we, we've worked on something that we're calling life groups. You've heard it mentioned from the stage. I know I've heard Dusty talk about life groups. Uh, Amanda, when she shared with us a couple months ago, she talked about her life group. And it's people that you're surrounding yourself with. And we want to take that to kind of the next step, a little bit different than the small groups that really help us with knowing Jesus, but the life groups that can help us bless others. And so uh, we've had uh, one of our deacons, Chad Cousins, has volunteered to uh, jump in and start uh, ramrodding the czar. Is that what you call, they call you, somebody calls you? Anyway, uh, anyway, he has volunteered to help with our small group ministry. And I wanted to turn it over to him and let him share a little bit about this idea of the life groups as we close today. Cheers, fans. How about those? Yeah, here we go. One more time, all together. How about those? That a baby. Life group, first one. Paul and his Raiders fans have a support group. So that's number one. Number two, let me just talk a little bit about misophonia, okay? Um, so misophonia is a disorder. And what happens is when people eat loudly, it makes you mad. So when you're eating chips, if you've got a chip this big, don't fit the whole thing in your mouth and start chomping down on it, okay? I love my wife, but, you know, she puts a chip in her mouth, and she just somehow dislocates her jaw and from the back rolls forward on the thing, and I hear every bit of it. So just break it up, put it in your mouth, and chew it. It's, 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 it's polite. So, uh, okay, moving on. Life groups. Uh, Paul mentioned we have the small groups. In, in large part, uh, they're for those of us here already, okay? Uh, and again, it uh, allows us, gives us opportunities to get together and to uh, get to know him, Christ, and better and work on our faith, okay? Um, the idea, again, behind life groups is uh, to take the interests and activities that we all have, whether that's uh, the arts, uh, painting, drawing, music, movies, golf, whatever, uh, and getting together as groups, as believers, and then going outside. We all have friends who we share those interests and activities with and getting them involved with us. Uh, and it might be, a, a, I think it's going to be a great way for us to get people involved uh, in, in our church with other believers uh, without being so, you know, uh, it might be a much softer way to introduce uh, Christianity and our faith to them. And I tell you, a group who does this every week, uh, who does a great job of it, and it's our kids, our middle school and high school kids, every Wednesday, uh, they get together, and the first 30 to 45 minutes, they're, they're doing stuff they like, whether it's playing basketball uh, or buffalo ball, whatever some of them want to call it, uh, volleyball, some volleyball game, board games, looking at Instagram. Uh, for the first 30 to 45 minutes, that's what they're doing. And then they're going upstairs and studying. 
having a little sermon, and then they're breaking up into small groups uh, and talking about life. And, and we don't even have to do that in life groups. We just have to go do things that we like to do and just, just get people interested in what we're doing uh, and what we're all about. So the first thing we need to do is, is get a survey uh, or get an idea of what everybody's interested in. And we're going to do that through a survey. The QR code is up top uh, and on the back of your bulletin. All you need to do is pull up your, your iPhone or your smartphone. Uh, if you have a camera, uh, you put your camera on it and it'll bring up the survey for you. Um, the first part of that survey is uh, uh, informational. If you could fill out your name and address, uh, that way we can update the church database for those of us who have moved since the last time. And then the second part of it is just the, uh, the actual interests and activities. And it's super easy. Uh, click, click the squares or the boxes that, of things that you're interested in. If something's not there, uh, fill it in. And uh, we'll start gathering information and, and helping uh, coordinate everything going forward. Uh, so if you do that, it'd be a big help. Uh, and just for your information, you're going to do it. Uh, whether we have to come to you personally and do it uh, with a piece of paper or if you go uh, voluntarily do it. So anyway, let's, uh, uh, let's do that and uh, we'll get this thing going. I think it's going to be a great thing for our church. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and uh, we're just so thankful for, for another opportunity to uh, be together today, to uh, study together, to worship you together. And uh, Father, we pray your blessings on these life groups as they begin. Help us to utilize those uh, to, to bless others, to be together, and to help others know him and know you and know how much you love us uh, and know how much Jesus sacrificed for us when he died on the cross for our sins. Uh, we're so thankful, Father, because of that. When you look at us, you see him and not our sins and not our weaknesses. And uh, we just pray that you help us to be mindful of that this week uh, as we go our separate ways and as we involve ourselves with our daily activities. Just uh, bless us with the opportunity to bless others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.